Hello and welcome to the Tokyo Godzilla Minus One podcast. I am your host, Patrick Macias. Wait, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, wait, what, what, what? Oh, wait, this is pure Tokyoscope, Matt. This is pure <laughs> Tokyoscope, and I am your host, Patrick Macias. No, I am your host. I am your host. I am Matt Alt of Pure Invention. I'm hijacking this. I'm taking it to uh, a higher plane. No, we're both co-hosts. We're, we're friendly co-hosts. Are we friendly rivals? Maybe it's like a Mazinger Z versus Devilman kind of thing where we fight at first, but then we team up at the end to uh, to face a common foe. Yeah, I'd like to say it's like more like Get a Robo with only two of us, but that's, you know, I know it's kind of boys lovey, you know, all that docking. You can form the foot, Matt. <laughs> I always say this, like that's the shittiest job in the anime you universe being the guy who drives Voltron's foot, the truck that turns into Voltron's foot. Well, this is our show. We do this every week. And this week, we don't really have a big theme, but we do have a big stack of news here of uh, stories that broke what we were all obsessing over Godzilla Minus One week after week after week. And I think our first story does indeed smell like popcorn and a movie theater. What's it about, Patrick? Well, it says here, Matt, Oppenheimer to finally open in Japan. The film Oppenheimer, a blockbuster in the United States that depicts the life of physicist Robert Oppenheimer, known as the father of the atomic bomb, will be coming to theaters in Japan next year, the distributor in charge said. I almost forgot about Oppenheimer. Is that DC or Marvel? I, is he is he part of like the Archie Bunker verse? Is he Oppenheimer? That name rings a bell. Yeah, I thought you mean Barbenheimer. Is that what you meant? I'm trying to forget about Barbenheimer. <laughs> too soon, too soon. So people people were saying that Oppenheimer is never ever ever going to open in Japan because you know Japanese audiences would not you know take kindly to a film that deals with one of the most pivotal moments in 20th century Japanese culture and. You know, human culture—the you know detonation of two atomic weapons over uh, civilian cities. That doesn't mention Japan at all, which Oppenheimer doesn't. There's no Japan mention. So there was a lot of talk that this wouldn't make it here, but now it seems like it is. Yeah, it's a small indie film company that's releasing it called Bitter's End Incorporated. That sounds like a joke or like a front company for something. Never, never heard of them. And I think that's kind of a testament to the fact that nobody is expecting uh, big you know, numbers from this. It's a tentpole film in America. It's a major, major, massive you know, launch. But in Japan- this might just get- dumped into the indie theaters here in Japan. I don't know if we're going to get like the big IMAX experience like, you know, other places got. Right, right. And you know, like you mean like uh, Christopher Nolan told us to watch it on? He's like, please only watch this He's like IMAX. knocking on my door in the middle of like, Patrick, I really hope you see Oppenheimer <laughs> in IMAX. It's fantastic. I find this film interesting because somebody pointed this out to me. There's a real interesting symmetry between the fact that Oppenheimer is a movie about something that is really intimately related to Japan, the atomic weapons, but doesn't mention Japan at all. And Godzilla Minus One is a movie set in a period that is intimately involved with America and the fact that America is occupying Japan and America isn't mentioned at all. So you have this interesting, like kind of dancing around (laughs) these like big dangerous issues and the filmmakers dealing with them by not even talking about them at all. That's called revisionist history, isn't it? Well, Godzilla Godzilla versus Minus versus One is certainly set in an alternate universe. Is, is Oppenheimer part of the multi- 
multiverse. I'm not exactly sure how that worked. I haven't I haven't seen it. Have you? I don't think you've been to the States to be able to see it. I mean, I can legitimately watch it like in two clicks on like, you know, my fire stick or whatever, but I just I've been holding out for like some kind of big screen theatrical release. But it sounds like this might end up like one of those small, you know, indie movie theaters, like the size of my living room in Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. And Tokyo has a lot of those, doesn't don't they? Yeah. But the big question for me is like, is there gonna be like merchandise in the lobby? Because you know, as we know, Matt. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. Japan loves to put all that merch there in the lobby, exit through the gift store. The big releases have those elaborate pamphlets that that people love to collect. The programs, yes. Get your Cracker Jacks programs. And some of those are actually quite, you know, really elaborate. Yeah, I mean, I have programs all over the place for like my favorite anime. You know, some of them have like sheet music or they have like lyrics. I think, God, I mean, I think I have Zardoz. I have Lensman. I have like all the big Leiji Matsumoto movies. I love that stuff. But you know, when you go to the movies here, especially like over the last couple of years with like Shin Ultraman, Shin Kamen Rider. Yes. I mean, it's it really is just like you go to the gift store and then you go to the movie and then you go to the gift store again. I mean, maybe they'll have Oppenheimer acrylic standees, clear files. What else do they have? Cookies? They might have those little cookies. All I remember is that the when I went to go see Shin Kamen Rider, a film ostensibly for adults, they were selling these giant like Kamen Rider bike-shaped popcorn holders where you could put like your drink in it and your popcorn and kind of ride to your seat almost. Like you you I, I think you would actually sling it around your neck. It was just this amazing accoutrement for man children who were going to this and women children who were going to this film. Is it like the baby rider from Godzilla versus Megalon? Something the dolphins, the trio of dolphins. You know, it sounds like that that thing is is the most what is the word I'm looking for? Unsavory design in all of the Godzilla verse, I think. There's the weird kind of like three fishy thing that he's zooming around on. Yes. And then there's the baby rider, which is like a tiny motorcycle. So they're not the same thing. Don't get them confused, Matt. I'd like to congratulate us for connecting Oppenheimer to Godzilla versus Megalon and just what was that? It was under two minutes, I think. You know, I, everything is connected to Godzilla versus Megalon. It's like the the seven degrees of Godzilla versus Megalon. Doesn't Oppenheimer begin with Christopher Nolan like telling the audience like, "We'll tell the scientists to be more careful in future and let Zootopia rest in peace." Is that what the, is that what Oppenheimer's about? Are they trying to are they trying to drop a bomb on on Zootopia? That would see that would be the alternate universe version that somebody like Takashi Yamazaki of Godzilla Minus One fan would make. But uh, no, I actually think I think it's straight up history for better or for worse. And uh, I get, uh, we're just going to have to wait and see how Japan reacts to it, aren't we? We certainly will. But in the meantime, we're moving on to our next story here, Matt. It's a it's a military grade one here, full metal jacket style. Uh, U.S. military grounds all Osprey aircraft after Japan crash. The U.S. military has grounded all of its Osprey V-22 tiltrotor aircraft a week after eight service members died when an Air Force CV-22 crashed off Kagoshima Prefecture's Yakushima Island in the first fatal accident for the type in Japan. Yeah, this is a this is a sad one. Uh, five service uh, people, I don't know if they were men or women, lost their lives in this. So it's a, a kind of heavy piece of news. But it's the the Osprey, you know, it's the tilt rotor aircraft, right? With that kind of transforms from helicopter into prop plane uh, in flight. They've been 
a big target of protests and complaints and things here in Japan because they it seems like they have a more of a malfunction record than other military planes here. I don't know. I haven't like studied the. I'm not an expert on the plane, but they're kind of notorious here in Japan. And then this one went down right off the coast of Yakushima or off the ocean off of Yakushima and kind of reignited the debate all over again. Yakushima, just just for people who might not be aware, it's it's down south. It's kind of uh, off the coast of Kyushu and it is the place that has this kind of primeval primordial forest on it that was one of the big inspirations for Hayao Miyazaki's uh, Princess Mononoke. But there's an actual anime connection here. I learned from the reporting on the topic that the, you know how every military, and I'm, I'm sure most civilian planes, they have to have a call sign. And the call sign of this Osprey V-22 was Gundam 22. That's what they were calling themselves over the radio. And it wasn't like a joke. It wasn't some kind of cosplay thing. It was just, it's kind of a testament, I think, to how much anime has percolated through society that soldiers are using anime terms as their call signs. Wait, now which one was Gundam 22? Was that the one designed by Sid Mead or was that the one with the Gundam Mexico? I forget which one 22 exactly. was. It's, uh, but you know, it's just sad stuff because people did die in this accident. So, you know, our thoughts and, and uh, are with the families of people who lost their lives. But I found found it very interesting both uh, that that it had an anime call sign, which we probably never would have known if it, if this accident hadn't have happened. Makes you wonder, are there other, you know, anime kind of crossover things happening in the military that we're not aware of? Like Votoms 3 or like Dogram 109. Deep in the crates. I would assume it would be, you know, we didn't we, we were writing many, many years ago when we were doing the Otaku USA Otakers com, we were writing about kind of military fans of anime and I can't remember what the heck were we we talk. I, I had seen a bunch of people in uniform buying anime at a shopping mall in, in the in the DC Maryland area. It was in manga, and, and at that time, this is like ten or fifteen years ago. I was kind of wow, shocked. Now it, it would be kind of a no brainer. The military, what? What's the average age? It has to be like in the high teens or early twenties or something like that. And it would be surprising if there weren't a lot of anime fans in the military. I mean, I've heard of people who were so inspired by Yamato slash Star Blazers that they joined the Navy just to uh, work on a ship. And I remember when we were recording the voices for a game called Energy Air Force, and we went and took, like, a bunch of us went and took a tour of the, I guess it was Atsugi, where they fly, they were flying F-14 still at the time, and one of the pilots is like, yeah, Robotech, it looks just like playing Robotech, doesn't it? And I was like, yes, it does. Did he say a Veritech, and you had to correct him? Actually, do you mean the Valkyrie? Actually, it's known as a VF Valkyrie fighter. No, I was worried he would punch me in the face if I said that, but actually, he the, the pilots we were talking to were all pretty nerdy i uh you know they were they were buff but they were nerds they were like huge like gamers and stuff like that i thought that was interesting and that was like a good 15 years ago too so good place to drop a zambot 3 reference when you're like piloting one of those things right exactly so moving on to the next story something happy with uh, a lot of sparkles and rainbows here 17 percent of anime workers in survey have possibly had depression and other mental issues the Japan Animation Creators Association conducts annual surveys of working conditions in the anime industry. Wanting to investigate the health issues its members face, inquiries about mental and physical well-being were added to the most recent iteration. Responses from 429 anime workers were collected, and when the replies were tallied, the association found that 66% of the respondents feel that they are suffering from physical fatigue, and even more, 68%, feel mentally fatigued. Arguably the most alarming data point from the survey, however, is that 17% of the participants said they have, 
or have possibly suffered from depression or other emotional sickness. No surprise there with the low salaries and high pressure working conditions. So this was Janika, uh, the Japan Animation Creators Association, who when you see statistics about the anime industry, most often it's being quoted from uh, Janika uh, reports. And this, But this is the first one I'm aware of that's talked about kind of the mental health of animators. And uh, there were other interesting factoids in there, like 66% of respondents said they're suffering from physical fatigue and 68 feel mentally fatigued. Hold that thought because you can hear that siren, can't you? Not someone coming to take you away, Matt, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the yeah, time. Yeah, because I feel mentally and physically fatigued. There's literally an ambulance circling your house right now, isn't there, Matt? Yeah, like they heard anime and they just d- dispatched the ambulance like right out there. Well, I was going to say, what about the people who have to watch this crap? You don't think they're depressed too? Some of those Moe shows, man, that'll put you in traction. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a competitive field. It's it's creative, you know, it's it's I'm sad to hear this because anime is such a major way that Japan represents itself to the outside world. So you don't want to hear anybody suffering. But uh, I, it's probably a good thing that this is being revealed this way. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard about this being quantified before. So now that it is being quantified, hopefully uh, it'll make it easier for people to say, that they have problems, they have a problem and get help. And the Japanese anime industry will be quick to react as always and adjust to make sure this problem is fixed, right? How much of that mental and physical fatigue is due to them still like painting on acetate with really highly toxic paints? Do people still use cells? I don't think they do anymore. That's what I heard. There's a couple reasons for that. One of which is that I don't think, you know, hand painting cells is physically and economically viable anymore. But did you know, I think you did know, but when I say, do you know, I'm also speaking to our listeners. Do you know? Anime cells were considered industrial waste. This is why that they were given away so freely back in the day. Some of those really key moments go for huge sums of money. I think, didn't we talk about it a couple months ago? Like one of the Totoro cells, like May on Totoro's chest went for, I mean, it was, I think it was like a million dollars or something. It's crazy amounts, but cells are, they're incredibly flammable and they're off-gassing toxic gases. And it's like fine if you have like one or two or, you know, a couple in your house or whatever, but how many go into making like thousands upon thousands go into making an anime? And especially back in the day, the product was the, the finished anime on film. It wasn't the actual anime cells. You had to use the cell to make product and storing those was incredibly dangerous. It could cause fires, you know, it could cause they explode, you know, all sorts of bad things could happen having all the flammable stuff in your offices. So uh, I do not think anybody's doing actual cell work anymore. Are they trying to put the guy out of business who sells the cells at knock on a Broadway for like inflated prices? Like no one will ever buy that Captain Harlock cell for like 10 grand. Well, all the good ones go on auction. You know, Mandarake has been doing cell auctions forever. I haven't seen good, you know, Mandarake has a couple of those cell shops up on the, uh, what is it? The third floor of knock Fourth on a Broadway? Floor, I think, yeah. Fourth floor, uh, right around the corner from Henya. But I haven't seen like good stuff in there in a really long time. It's always these kind of weird cast off cells where you kind of have somebody, you know, cut off in the bottom corner or like it's the backside of the robot it's like a guy from saint Seiya, but he's blinking or something like yeah, that or something like that there's like a hand in front of their face like they've just been caught doing something or it's just or it's just a nothing moment where some prop is like shooting through the frame or something like that i haven't seen like the real like we're like whoa kind of thing in many many years there because this is the problem in general with the idea of running a collectible shop is that they, they only put kind of cast off second rate stuff in the shops because all of the good stuff the 
they're gonna, they know that to get the best prices, they have to put it online because that you reach a bigger audience. You know, the most deep pocketed person is not necessarily going to be a knockout at any given moment. Do you have any cells, Matt? Do you have any hot cells in your collection? I do. My buddy Josh, Josh, Mr. C10, we used to call him on the uh, Toy Box DX forums. Well, that's funny because I'm Mr. C4 because of how I play Call of Duty. You know, hey, hey, no, actually, you know, no chucking of C4, Patrick. That's not that's not fair. I think they've taken that out of, of recent Call of Duty games, haven't they? Can you actually chuck C4 anymore? I'm the guy who ruined it for everyone. It was they me. put up your picture with silence because your play style by itself causes violence. Anyway, Josh, Josh Frazier had a bunch of cells that he gave to me. They were like, he gave me the Zabungle Iron Gear. Actually, my best cell, though, is the one that you and I found together on Golden Guy, that Guardian, Gordian cell. Gordian, Guardian? Guardian, Gordian. Yeah. It's not even a production cell. It's like a promotional cell. It's like something they did for like a, like a magazine or something like that. But it's like got the background and it's got the it's, full It's actually robot. a kid's book. Somebody found it. It's it's a kid's oh. book. My buddy, uh, Robert, Robert, uh, my co-author from uh, Super Number One Robot, Robert Robot, he actually found it in a kid's book. It's like, a, it's a it's a two-page spread in the kid's book. And there's like, the reason there's so much open space in it is because the text goes in there. It's amazing they, that they, they painted a cell just for a book. That's a really interesting thing thing too. But yes, I do have a couple cells, uh, not enough to represent industrial waste hazard, but just enough to spark joy. Just enough to put on Mercury if you need to like put your kid through college or something like that. Exactly. I wonder what it's worth. I haven't even, you know, I don't really think of the things that I own as, 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 uh, investments. Liquid assets necessarily. I mean, do you? I mean, I've had to sell a few X plus figures here and there just to, you know, get beer money or to, so I could buy some more records. I switching one vinyl for another, I guess. Right. Right, right. No, I mean, I have to. It's for some reason, I don't know. It's just, it's a real pain in the neck to sell things here. I have to, you know, I have to dig up a box and I've got to get the plastic bubble wrap. And then it's really annoying to have to figure out what's the cost of shipping. You have to kind of calculate that beforehand. Oh, but the joy of going to a Japanese post office, I mean, oh, that's, yeah, there's, you can't put a price tag on that, can you? Well, they've, especially now since they've, they've switched things to the post office. I know these are first world problems, by the way. For people who are actually suffering out there, I bow to you. I'm sure you have bigger problems than this. Are you talking? Talking about the no foreigners allowed signs on the post I'm office. I'm actually talking about the fact that you can't just walk up to the post office in Japan anymore with a box and say, "Hey, can I ship this to America or can I ship this to Europe?" Uh, you have to print out all that crap in advance. You have to like weigh it and like list the contents. Uh... It's this whole song and dance online. You have to like calculate the, the the length, width, depth of the you know what's going. You have to put like the HS code in. God, it's like an intelligence test. It is. I'm failing it. I fail it. Like every time I go in there, they're like, oh, you're missing one sheet. And I'm like, I'm like I don't know, man. I just printed this stuff out. I brought it here. Just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give you money. Take my money to do the your your mission. Oh, man. Those Japanese postal workers, like I'm afraid like I'll wake up in the middle of the night. They're like standing over my bed with like a ruler. Or they're like, hey, man, this like decimal point. I don't know about this. It's like, leave me alone. I'm sorry. I tried. I'm friendly with mine. I'm not. I'm not. My, my shout out to my local post office. They're cool people. But. Their hands are tied. It's a bureaucracy. You know, they don't make the rules. Uh, they just follow them. So, and speaking of rules, rules, Patrick, rules. We live in a society of rules. Our next topic is kind of a, a follow on from another that we did way back in October. Remember that month? It feels like years ago, but it was only two months ago.
months ago when the Grinch of Shibuya banned Halloween. Now, Tokyo Shibuya District has banned public drinking on New Year's Eve. They have canceled the countdown. Shibuya, the downtown Tokyo neighborhood world famous for landmarks such as the Shibuya Scramble Intersection and Statue of Faithful Dog Hachiko, will be banning public consumption of alcohol in the area around Shibuya Station on New Year's Eve, starting at 6 p.m. The prohibition will be in effect until 5 a.m. the following morning, New Year's Day, and there will be an increased police presence in the area as well. The ward is also asking that kiosks, convenience stores, and retailers in the area refrain from selling alcohol during the period. Do you remember when Idris Elba canceled the apocalypse in Pacific Rim? Did they go on Twitter and cancel it? I don't understand. <laughs> No, it's it's they're they've just Shibuya has announced that they're actually just keeping 2023. There's not going to be a 2024. It's just going to be another year. No, I'm just kidding about that part. But they have banned public drinking and they've canceled the countdown celebration that usually breaks out spontaneously uh, there every year. I think this is a, a kind of follow up for how nervous they are, how many foreigners and how many tourists, not foreigners, but foreign tourists are visiting Shibuya and they're worried it's going to get out of control again. And they're also banning alcohol sales again at kiosks, convenience stores, and retailers. I mean, what am I going to do? Where am I going to buy booze in Tokyo, Matt? There's like four square blocks. I can't buy it in. Exactly. It's literally it's literally this patch of Tokyo the size of a postage stamp where no alcohol is being sold like everywhere else. Uh, and last time when they did this for Halloween, there were still plenty of places in Shibuya who were selling it. It wasn't like donkeys selling it. And like there were some shops who just refused to stop selling it. This is It's Shibuya basically asking people to stop selling alcohol. I don't think they have Can you have imagine the- asking Don Quixote to like stop selling something? No alcohol, no wristwatches, no Crisco, you know, shut that entire floor down. Uh, the, the really interesting thing about this is that Shibuya was was actively trying to to promote New Year's celebrations right up before, up leading up into the, the, the pandemic. So what a world, Patrick. What a world we're living in. They flip-flopped. I don't trust Shibuya anymore. I bet it's that mayor, isn't it? It's that mayor, the same one who canceled Halloween. Let's go get him, Matt. He has it out for fun. He did point out correctly that the letters F, U, and N are not found in Shibuya. Actually, wait a second. U is found in there, I think. Why is he an enemy of things beautiful? Why is he an enemy of things fun? I don't know. It's like one of the Ten Commandments, thou shall not like celebrate anything in Shibuya. Well, the really interesting thing is that there is a Shibuya Countdown Executive Committee, and they are the ones who who handed down this... this uh, I'm assuming to me it's like seal in Evangelion. It's like those big black kiosk things. You know, the mayor goes into this room and is surrounded by these black... Black towers. What is it? The, the gun is good. The alcohol is evil, and then Don't just starts vomiting it. out. It's <laughs> like a giant, a giant Zardoz-like head descends over Tokyo. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, it's like another embarrassment for Shibuya, and everyone's going to go to Shinjuku or Ikebukuro again, just like they did for Halloween. So, or, or go to Shibuya. They went to Shibuya for Halloween. Like it didn't really. St- like I think we we have established firmly that when the mayor says, "Um, can you please not come to Shibuya and party?" Nobody listens, especially me. You can't tell me what to do. Well, you were you in Shibuya at Halloween this year, Patrick? No. 
then you were listening to the mayor, weren't you, by default? I'm actually not a fan of any of these celebrations. I don't have any skin in this game at all. I just find it amusing when, you know, (laughs) the the mayors of certain sectors of Tokyo tell people to stop coming and and not have fun. Yeah, I don't think of New Year's Eve in Japan as like, let's go out and like have like a drunken party in the street. I mean, I think of it as like you watch, you know, Kohaku with your family, the red and white music show. You probably go to bed early or you go to a temple and do Hatsumode or something like that. The irony is, is that I think the New Year's is by far the more quote unquote important near and dear to Japanese people's hearts holiday than, you know, anything that happens in December. But the the whole idea of the countdown and like getting drunk and like kissing people under mistletoe or whatever the heck uh, the kids are doing these years uh, for their New Year's celebrations is that's kind of an import. And so I think it's this is, again, a factor of just how many tourists are in Shibuya right now. It's crazy. I actually had a little errand I had to run in Shibuya today. And it is like- You're buying some Crocs at Don Quixote? I had to buy some selfie sticks because there aren't any in Japan anymore because they're just all being held up as people cross Shibuya crossing. Literally, it looks like, a you know, when you look at like an oil drilling, you know, a place where they have a bunch of oil drills and, you're, and you just see all of these antennas and like spikes and things sticking up. That's what Shibuya Crossing looks like now. It's like one out of every, I would say, five people is filming themselves crossing. And then a Mario Kart goes out of control and like just like plows into the crowd, like murders like 30 people accidentally. <laughs> I like Shibuya Scramble, but it's it's like, is it that fascinating to, to film? I, I just, it's it has to now be the single most filmed place on earth. It has to be on a moment to moment basis. Times Square, it's up there. I mean, it's definitely in the running. And I love Shibuya. I love going there and shopping and like doing my own thing. But I mean, yeah, it's just, I always have to kind of make my way between the raindrops because there's so many Well, so if many you people. are here on New Year's Eve, Patrick, and you're not traveling or something, I, I humbly request that you go and see. They're actually supposed to turn off all of the screens. The mayor has requested that the big Jumbotron TVs what? all be turned off. What about the advertisers? They paid a lot of money for I that know. screen time. What? This is terrible. What about the stakeholders and shareholders? What was it? What was it Burke said in aliens you know there's there's quite a high dollar value attached to this this facility um is that gonna be you you're gonna show up i haven't seen the screens dark there since since the fukushima disaster i guess they turn them off at night anyway i haven't been in shibuya at like four in the morning and and, or whatever in a really long time i mean i have and i think the screens are turned off and there's also like a bunch of just like scary guys waiting for like lone women like lions look for antelope like it's really terrifying and seedy. Yeah, it's it's scouts a bad and scene. touts. Yeah, but like eleven p.m. Usually those screens are going full tilt at eleven p.m. That's like golden hour. That's prime time. But uh, not this year, it seems like. But again, this is like his request. The, the Shibuya Countdown Executive Committee. I don't think they have the ability to arrest, detain, or sentence citizens to death yet. Oh, that's good. So oh, yeah, it's good. That's the one good thing about this. So next year, early next year, we have to have the Shibuya Countdown Executive Committee on this podcast. I would love to. Talk to them. The cooks are very entertaining as well as very personable. The prices are great. I've eaten here 14 times and it's really exciting. I love the food. I've never been entertained and served such good food at one time. I'm really enjoying the atmosphere here. The other people at the table make it so much fun. I've never eaten here before, but it is really great and I really enjoy it. It's very entertaining. The portions are huge. You never leave hungry. North Alabama's choice for fine Japanese cuisine, Shogun Japanese Steakhouse on University Drive. 
Well, that was a quite Tourette syndrome-esque episode of Pure Tokyo Scope. We were kind of all over the board there, but we, we somehow wrestled it down for a landing, didn't we, Patrick? Hopefully we managed to trigger your anxiety in one form or another with this episode. Just remember, you know, tune in, drop out, and never, ever cross the Shibuya Countdown Executive Committee. When's the next holiday they can shut down? Is like Groundhog Day? Easter? No hunting for eggs. No sitting on Easter bunny laps. Arbor Day? Is Arbor Day safe from the uh, the committee? Ash Wednesday? Is that <laughs> is that a, I don't even know what Ash Wednesday is. I know it's some Christian thing. Is that in danger? If they do that, it'll trigger some kind of culture war in the States. So maybe it'll, you know, maybe we can report live from America that time. I've been here for five years, but I still can't get the hang of like what are the national holidays? Like they sneak up on me. Like it's suddenly like, oh, today's a national holiday. No mail. Literally, there's only two national holidays you need to worry about, which is Golden Week, which is a bunch of national holidays daisy chained together that I nobody even remembers. They're always like respect the elderly day and like green day not the band but like something else and then new year's and the the only other one is the new year's holiday those are the two big holidays in japan the golden week of of that may kind of is it may may june time frame and new year's i feel like once a month there's a gotcha holiday like there was a japanese labor day i didn't know about and i'm like wait a minute you guys love to work that's all you do and gotcha man day you didn't notice they had it this year everybody was dressed in those like bird costumes that's why zambot three day <laughs> it's on the every the third of every month is zanbot three day you weren't aware of that but actually it was until the shibuya countdown executive committee shut that down Those see guys again i swear <laughs> to god this is why we can't have nice things matt it's true we need are like politicians who dress in Demon Slayer cosplay. If we only those guys could get elected, it'd be a party in Shibuya every night. Don't you well, think? they're getting elected to like South American uh, countries. So why can't, you know, if it happened there, it'll happen here, I'm sure. As I said before, Matt, that about wraps it up for this episode. But we'll be back next week with a new one. In the meantime, keep listening. Keep spreading the word. Don't stop believing. You got to hold on to the feeling. And that's it for today's episode of Japanology Plus. Oh, wait, wrong episode. Sorry. Tokyo I, what is this? Otaku vs. Zero? I'm having flashbacks, Matt. Something has triggered my anxiety. I'm having flashbacks to NHK World programs, which we're not a part of anymore. But, you know, we have each other, Patrick. We still have each other, and we still have the Shibuya Countdown Executive Committee. And Shakey's. And our audience. And our audience. Yes, all of you. All 15 of you, we're so happy you keep tuning in. Half of whom are named Chris, apparently. <laughs> I was going to say, half of whom are named Chris. Yes. Yes, all of you. Thank you. Seriously, we love you. Come on back next week. We got a new one for you. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and see you next time. Bye. (laughs) 